It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Well, hi there, and welcome to the Speedway Show. I am so pleased that you are joining me on this hopefully beautiful day. Um, Beautiful day for you. It's a beautiful day for me because... I just wake up every day and I choose it. I choose that it's going to be a beautiful day. Sometimes people will call me, I live in Minnesota, and they'll say, hey, how's it going? And I'll say, it's a beautiful day in Minnesota. And they're like, since when? The sun isn't shining, it's gray, it's cold as heck. Isn't it winter time? And I say, yes, but you know what? A beautiful day is something you choose. A beautiful day is not something that depends on the weather. It doesn't depend on what your boss did to you today or your coworkers said about you today or about that project that you're so uh, wrapped up in. It just depends on your mindset. And if your mindset is right, no one can make it a bad day unless you let them. So here we are talking about this is part two of Dating Over 40. We started out this episode talking about all the things that are different when you are dating over 40. And, you know, in saying dating over 40, it is not just over 40. It's, you know, in your mid-40s, in your late 40s, in your 50s, in your 60s, in your 70s even, And it may be in your late or mid-30s, depending on the life situation that you find yourself in at that time. And really, I'm talking to people who perhaps find themselves dating when they did not expect to be. Perhaps you didn't expect to be because you got married and you thought that your marriage was going to last forever, as most people, I think most people, hope and expect will be the case. Um, perhaps you find yourself in that situation because your spouse, unfortunately, might have passed away or might have, you know, met with some unfortunate circumstance that makes them unavailable. Perhaps you've got a spouse who, uh, you know, a former spouse who got sick and um, is just, for whatever reason, no longer there. Or maybe you just didn't expect to be single this long. Perhaps. You were thinking that um, you were going to be married long before this and you find yourself now in your 40s or 50s and you've never been married and you're thinking to yourself, well, gee, I surely did not expect this to be the case. So all of you, all of y'all are the people that I am talking to today. And uh, I will reiterate the one thing that I said the last time, which was, It's not over. Life is not over. You're not a failure. It's fine. Uh, 40, in fact, is a new 20 for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And so don't let it get you down that you find yourself in this circumstance. And in the last show, we talked about, you know, identifying your motivations for wanting to date. We talked about um, coming up and identifying what it was that you were going to give up in terms of your time in order to make time in your life to date because by now you've got kids, you've got career, you've got hobbies, you might even have an ex who's still hanging around. So you have to decide how you're going to carve out the time to devote to this whole concept of dating if you want to. 
we talked about all of the reasons or some of the reasons that uh, were bad reasons for wanting to date. We talked about some good reasons for wanting to date. And um, we talked about how you meet people differently. We're going to pick that conversation up now, and I'm going to suggest to you that the other thing that you should give some thought to is scheduling differently, right? When you were in your 20s, maybe you were in college, maybe you were in grad school, you could just sort of say, hey, what are you doing Friday night? Oh, nothing, and off you went on a date. Or you just, you know, kind of uh, run into each other on Saturday night on campus and you could sit up until 2 o'clock in the morning talking. Whereas now you have to schedule differently, and that's one of those things that you need to give some thought to. When you are juggling, when you are juggling a job and hobbies and perhaps children, you don't have hours to talk on the phone every night playing the You Hang Up game. You remember that silly game that you used to listen to some of your friends play? I, I considered myself, you know, too just far too reasonable and far too level-headed to do that silly thing and play that silly game. But it was when you've got two people who are, you know, first of all, they've been talking forever, and finally it's time for them to get off the phone. And they say goodbye, and they both sit there. And then finally somebody says, hey, I thought you said goodbye, you're still on the phone. Well, I was waiting for you to hang up. Well, I was waiting for you to hang up. Well, then why don't you hang up? No, you hang up. No, you hang up. And they go on and on and on. Ten minutes later, they get into a whole new conversation because nobody can hang up the phone. So in your 40s, you probably don't have the time, the energy, the desire, or the immaturity to play those kinds of games, right? So you're sitting there thinking, you know, I don't have a lot of time for this. And um, for for a lot of us, that's true. Personally, I travel a lot. I have um, I am a co-parent, as I like to describe myself. I'm not a single parent because my girls have both parents, and um, but I have my kids half the time. So there's only fifty percent of time that is available uh, for me to do all the other things that I don't do when I'm parenting my kids, right? So the hobbies, the travel, the everything else. And then sometimes actually my, my work and my travel encroach even into that time. And um, sometimes we take long holidays. So I went away for three weeks for Christmas, took my kids home to Zimbabwe and South Africa. So that was three weeks that uh, I did not see my beloved and uh, came back. And um, I'm actually... Uh, probably when this show airs, I'll be in the U.K. for a period of about, you know, a couple of months. And so, you know, obviously we'll not be dating during that time. So there are things that you then have to schedule in a different way. So I cannot date someone, for example, who would be, you know, codependent and expect me to be around all the time because I just can't be. And frankly, I, I enjoy my job, I enjoy traveling, I like the things I do. So I'm not overly excited about being someone being with someone who's going to be, you know, terribly clingy. I do think though that it is important to invest time in a relationship. And I do think that only that way can you get to know each other. And so you do have to be willing to spend time. And um but you know, it certainly isn't gonna be every day. 
right? But you do have to be deliberate about how you're going to think about your schedule. Acknowledge at the outset that it is different. And then figure out what is the time that you're going to find to build in for one another. Um, And recognize that sometimes your plans will change unexpectedly. Like, for example, you know, the sitter didn't show or the kid was sick or I have to work late. So there is a measure of flexibility that you have to build into your schedule that perhaps, or, you know, maybe even if you don't build into your schedule, is forced onto you in ways that um, perhaps you didn't really have to worry about in uh, years gone by. The other thing is you have to decide what is this kind of person that you want and that actually defines the kind of person that you need to be, right? So I had a girlfriend once who said her standard was she was looking for a healthy, wealthy, wise man who loves and adores her. And she is married, indeed, to a healthy, wealthy, wise man who loves and adores her. And I thought, well, that's kind of clever. If you expand that to, you know, healthy meaning physically and spiritually and emotionally healthy, um, wealthy meaning, you know, perhaps not necessarily financial, but, you know, um, wealthy in terms of emotional maturity, wealthy in terms of um, intellectual capacity, uh, wise, you know, wise being, you know, what wise is, obviously. But the love and the door thing, that's really kind of critical because you can have the most gorgeous, healthy, wealthy man, wise beyond the years, um, but if he doesn't love and adore you, then none of that matters. So decide what kind of person you're looking for and ask yourself some questions. You know, does spirituality matter? Um, do you have to have someone who's, you know, just deeply emotionally connected to you or are you one of those people who says, well, you know, I'm really not that needy. I don't need, you know, I don't need a lot of clinginess. I'm not really high maintenance. Matter of fact, I really kind of like to go it alone. And so what I'm really looking for is someone who's just going to sort of walk here in parallel but not be, you know, all up in my business like that. Um, Think about age range and maturity. I have a friend who's in his 50s who thinks nothing about dating 30-year-olds, whereas, you know, personally, I would never touch anybody who was, you know, five years younger than me um, because, in my opinion, you know, personally, I I just don't think that they're going to be that mature or at least as mature as I would like. So kids are no kids. This is another big thing. There are people who have children. There are people who don't have children. There are people who have children and want more children. There are people who have children and don't want more children. And there are people who don't have children and don't want any more children. So kids is a big thing. I would say kids and spirituality, those are two really big issues to figure out for yourself what it is that you want. Smoking or non-smoking, do you care? Drinker, social drinker, heavy drinker, does it matter? Do you care? These are things to think about. If, back to the subject of kids, if there are kids, then you're going to be perhaps concerned about the kind of parent on your hands. If you've got a parent who, you know, relinquished custody to the other spouse, um, this is not always true, but for me that usually raises red flags because it suggests that there was a reason why they did not keep their children Um, perhaps there was a case that was made for their unfitness to be a parent, 
And as one who has a parent and children that I love dearly and who are in my house half the time, I'm going to be concerned about that. Um, perhaps they uh, relinquished uh, time with the kids because, you know, it really wasn't that important. And uh, in which case I might be thinking, well, if your kids weren't important enough for you to invest some time in, then perhaps, you know, I, I would be unreasonable to think that my kids would be important enough for you to care about or for you to even understand why I would care to invest a lot of time in my children, right? So those are all the things that you need to kind of give thought to and investigate. What are your deal breakers? Smoking, employment history, uh, emotional stability, personal traits, all of these can be deal breakers depending on what it is that you want. I had a friend of mine who was a pastor, and he said to me, one of the things that you should give some thought to and go and consult is the book of, uh, he suggested actually, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And um, because he said there's a lot in Proverbs, uh, in particular I started with Proverbs and it had so many you know, traits that I, I never actually made it over to Ecclesiastes. <laughs> but um, there are a lot of qualities that are described in uh, the Bible when it comes to the qualities of a good man or a good woman. And uh, so all sorts of things. There is, you know, wisdom and uh, someone who's hardworking, uh, someone who fears the Lord, someone who is, um, Proverbs actually says a whole lot of stuff about wisdom, 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 which I thought was kind of interesting. And I thought, well, you know, sure would like a guy who's uh, very wise and hardworking and who's generous in spirit and uh, all of those things. I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? So you could consult the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in uh, my life manual is the Bible. I call it the life manual because it is exactly that. It is the, the, the book that gives you all sorts of, it's like a product manual for your soul, right? It tells you what to do uh, in order to live your best life. It tells you what not to do. It tells you how to um, troubleshoot if you run your life off into a ditch. Useful for all kinds of reasons. And I call it a life manual because I have friends who use other life manuals. I have, I have a lot of friends who use the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, I have a lot of friends who use um, the Quran. And, okay, maybe not a lot of friends. I have some friends I know who use the Quran. And I have some friends who use the Hebrew Bible, which, you know, as I understand it, is basically the Christian Bible minus the New Testament, essentially. Um, but uh, all of these are life manuals, and I call it the life manual because you can go everywhere in the world and hear all the news about why this one is better than that one, and wars have been fought, many people have died over which one is better. And my goal on the show is really just to focus on the things that we have in common and to focus on the things that we can agree on. And um, it is my personal observation, and as I've said in the past and on other shows, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a uh, imam, I'm not a rabbi, I'm not a, I am not a biblical or other, you know, um, religious scholar, but it just appears to me when I talk to my friends who read these other life manuals, um, it would appear that the one thing we can all agree on is there is one God. And, uh, you know, I like to call him the great God Jehovah, affectionately known as my heavenly dad. But um, 
and people call them different things, but if you ask them to describe uh, that God, if you ask a Muslim to describe who Allah is, he is the creator of all things. He is the one and only God. And, um, you know, frankly, the fact that they call him Allah and I call him God, you know, I'm not sure that that makes a big difference because I speak, you know, different languages and, you know, mother in French is referring to the same thing as mother in English as is mother in my native language of Shana. And so, you know, I don't get too hung up on um, the words that are used as long as we're talking about the same God. And oftentimes it seems to me that actually we are. So these are suggestions for things to think about. Um, Other things to think about, you know, understand that the most desirable qualities may be inconvenient while you're dating, especially if you have kids. So, for example, let's say that you really value a family man and you find yourself a family man and you find that actually your family man is really into his kids and he's all wrapped up in his kids such that perhaps he doesn't have a lot of time to set aside for dating and seeing you, Um, which might be okay if he is otherwise, you know, committed to the relationship and, you know, makes himself emotionally available to you. And there are all sorts of tools now that you can use to stay in touch, right? You can talk on the phone, you can Skype, you can FaceTime if you have iPhones. Um, And there are all sorts of, you can email, you can text throughout the day, you can do all sorts of things to stay in touch with each other. But, you know, it may be inconvenient that he has really good qualities. It may mean that he's not willing to cut corners. It may mean that she's not willing to uh, get intimate with you on, you know, um, during the first couple of months. Or it may mean that he wants to be celibate until he gets married. And uh, great qualities to have, but, you know, perhaps inconvenient sometimes. So those are things to kind of um, think about. The other thing that I think you kind of have to accept is that you're probably going to behave differently in your 50s, for example, than you did in your 30s, right? You may not feel like going ice skating on a date. You may not feel like uh, wandering around the mall for hours and hours and looking at stuff. I remember there was this one day when um, my boyfriend and I were trying to decide what to do on a Friday night. And he had had a long week at work, and so had I. Nobody. And so we, you know, we're sort of sitting there going, hey, what should we do? What should we do? And because, you know, time is short, because, you know, we both have kids, so we try to maximize the time that we spend together, um, we decided we were going to find some things to do that were really fun, right? So I go trolling on the Internet, and it's wintertime in Minnesota, so there's an ice skating rink in St. Paul that we can go to, There was an ice castle that was, you know, being built at the Mall of America at the time. And, uh, of course, there was a mall at Christmas time, which uh, you can certainly wander around and do all sorts of things, which was great. Um, And, you know, he came up with a couple of things. And in the end, we were both, truth is, we were both tired. Nobody wanted to go and put on ice skates and you know, skate around a rink in 14-degree weather, and nobody really felt like walking outside and looking at an ice castle in 14-degree weather, right? And nobody wanted to battle the parking to get into the Mall of America and and battle the crowds. You know, nobody, we, we just didn't feel like it. So what we did instead 
was we drove around, looked at the Christmas lights, and then we drove over to the ice skating rink and watched the people skate <laughs> as we drove past. Then we drove over to see about that ice castle, and we drove by the ice castle and realized it wasn't even built yet. And uh, so we admired the work that they had done to date, decided we didn't feel like going into the mall. And uh, then we went home and we sat on the couch and we cuddled and watched a movie. And so there are things that are different when you are dating in your 40s compared to when you had all the energy to go, you know, tromping around in the ice and the snow at, you know, ridiculous temperatures. Some things you just don't feel like doing anymore. Now, in the first uh, part of this show, one of the things that I said is that hopefully by the time you are in your 40s and your 50s and your 60s um, or perhaps your late 30s or your mid-30s, you are more self-aware than you were in, say, your 20s. Hopefully you are also independent enough that you have the courage to say what you need uh, at this stage compared to back then. What that means is you should be able to be honest about your needs without your partner having to guess. Because the thing that I think is always true is that nobody is a mind reader, no matter how much you think they ought to be. And being able to express your needs, I think, is an art. There are marriage counseling sessions upon sessions and books upon books that have been written about how to communicate effectively with your um, significant other, right? Because apparently a lot of us don't do it that well. And um, I think there are, there are ways to do it and ways not to do it. As somebody who was married for 13 years, I can tell you that there are ways, and, and those of you who have been married for a while, you know what I'm talking about, there are ways to push buttons in your spouse. And you just know that there are certain things that you can say that will just light them on fire and not in a good way. And you also know that if you have a concern or something on your mind, there are ways to communicate it without it turning into a fight, right? So you don't have to say, we need to talk. You can say, you know, I really love it when you, wow, that was really great when you, it really made me feel wonderful when you, um, as opposed to, you know, I really wish you'd stop that. Or, you know, I need to correct this because, you know, you're just getting it wrong. You should also be able to talk about your fears. If you have had certain bad experiences that have left scars that are relevant to your new relationship, best talk about them if they're going to influence your behavior in the current relationship. But also understanding that discussing them may not give you a license to behave badly. For example... If your ex cheated on you and you are hypersensitive to infidelity, it's fine to express that, particularly if you are having, you know, nervous tics and, and, and weird outbursts that your partner just doesn't quite understand, right? But it doesn't give you a license to stalk your new partner. It doesn't give you a license to be forever suspicious and make them account for every single minute just because something bad happened to you in a previous relationship. I find also that it is always good to be honest about where you are in your life and what you're looking for in a relationship. 
there are times, especially for those of you who have transitioned out of a marriage, you will find that you will go through different stages where you are looking for different things. There will be a time when emotionally you may just be a basket case and you're not ready for anything, in which case you shouldn't be dating anyway. You should be focusing on healing. And if you do try to date under those circumstances, I promise you it's not going to go well because it never goes well because you attract what you reflect. And if what you are is broken and dysfunctional and crazy inside, then you will be astounded at the number of broken, crazy, strange, codependent, needy, clingy, um, nutty people that you will somehow manage to attract. So, you know, be honest about where you are in life and what you are looking for. If you have made the decision to date, think about how much time you really have to do it and be honest with your partner about it. And if you don't have that much time, then, you know, again, maybe you shouldn't be dating. But if you choose to, then obviously you need someone who doesn't need a lot of time. But I would suggest that beyond a certain point, you're really not going to be building a relationship anyway because even the best low-key, low-maintenance relationships need and take time. It is okay to check where you are with your mate, I would suggest, because that way you know um, how much to invest yourself in the relationship and you know when to put the brakes on if you've got a partner who is um, feeling kind of ambivalent about whether they want to be in the relationship or not. Sometimes people think they want to date and they, you know, kind of jump in with both feet and then they get into it and they discover that they really don't. And so no sense in you going 90 miles an hour when uh, your partner stopped just beyond the starting line. So it's fine, I would suggest, to check in with your mate. But, again, it depends on how you do it, right? So, you you know, I have never heard of a conversation that started with, I need to know where we are in this relationship. That went well. (laughs) I just haven't heard that because the first thing the guy thinks, first of all, it's usually women who say things like that, right? And the guy's thinking, oh, geez, here we go. Some long conversation about feelings and emotions and where are we in this relationship that, frankly, I really don't want to talk about. Because if I'm honest with her, she's going to be mad at me because I'm not where she is which is why I didn't want to talk about it in the first place. So there are ways to gauge where you are in a relationship without having the long, deep thing. Um, And so one of the things that I I asked when I started um, dating this guy that I was dating, we had a couple of dates in, and um, we uh, had a situation where we were going to be going out with some friends of ours. And I, I... I stumbled upon the question only because I really kind of wasn't sure what to call him. So I asked him. I said, hey, you know, we're going to go out with these people, and uh, I know some of them. So, you know, what would you like me to call you? How would you like me to introduce you? Do you want me to introduce you as my friend, my significant other, my beloved, my boyfriend? What is it that you'd be comfortable with? And that opened the door to actually quite a good conversation that that gave me a lot of insight about where he viewed the relationship to be that I hadn't even thought about when I asked the question. I was just trying to make sure that I wouldn't say this is my whatever. 
um, and then have him look at me and turn red and feel like, well, gee, um, we didn't talk about that. So I was just trying to make sure we were on the same page on, on, on that front. But, you know, I thought, well, that was actually a pretty good question. And um, so, you know, there are ways that you can ask the question without getting all tied into, you know, negativity. And the other thing is if you're going to ask a question, you have to be prepared for the answer. So you can't fly off the handle and get ticked off because you didn't hear what you wanted to hear because that will send your partner scurrying off into, you know, their hole and their cave faster than anything else and leave you wondering why your partner is never honest with you. So you have to create a safe environment for honest conversation. And you might have to be explicit about it and and just say, hey, this is a safe zone. Whatever you say in the safe zone will not come back to bite you tomorrow. I will not throw it in your face. I will not use it against you. I will not, you know, if you express a vulnerability, I'm not suddenly going to exploit it tomorrow or the next day or the day after. And if there are decisions that are made in the safe zone that we make together, I will not blame you the day that I finally express my displeasure with the decision on, and, and, and you find out that actually I've resented you for it ever since, right? So you have to create a safe zone. And in that safe zone is where you have those conversations. And maybe when you're in the safe zone, maybe it takes preparation for you to get there. And maybe you're not always in the safe zone. But um, at least if you have it, you will have access hopefully, to the truth about where you are in that relationship. The more you create a safe environment for honest conversation, the more likely it is that you will know where you and your partner are and whether you are or are not on the same page on a whole host of topics. And if you find that you're not on the same page, it's fine to suggest solutions, right? Um, Oh, I didn't realize you don't like going out every night. I thought you were coming along because you enjoyed it. Why don't we stay home tomorrow or why don't you plan the next date or how about we just keep it simple and just be the two of us today? But again, you can't be angry and pouting uh, when you give those suggestions, right? And the other thing that I would suggest is when you're when you're dating, recognize it's dating. I say this all the time. Every relationship is going to fail except the last one, Right? And um, so what you have to be prepared to do is be prepared to pay attention to that relationship from the very beginning. I think it was Maya Angelou who said, when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. Don't spend a year, two years, five years trying to change them or trying to convince them of something different just because that's what you want. Believe what they tell you and gauge that relationship from the beginning. Um, If What you have is someone who is really clingy or needy or who seems to have a lot of drama in their lives. You know, maybe that's just who they are. And um, perhaps that is reason for you to go kind of slow until you figure out what the landscape really is. Um, Contaminating a relationship with intimacy, physical intimacy too early, can often hide the truth and prevent you from seeing what's really there. So, you know, loving, affectionate, calm, I would argue, better chances of success. Um, And success isn't we got married. Success is 
we got to the point where we could gauge whether this was a good relationship or not a good relationship um, for us to continue with. It's not so much that one of you is a bad person and the other person is a good person as much as it is that perhaps for any number of reasons, timing, time, willingness to invest in the relationship, um, previous emotional baggage that's still carrying through into, you know, the person's life, um, uh, the the disparity of interests and desires. Maybe somebody wants kids. Maybe somebody else doesn't. You know, for whatever reason, we have now decided that we are probably better as friends or perhaps just not compatible romantic partners, right? That is success when you get to the point where you can say, okay, I know what this is and isn't, and we're going to act on that. And um, that is success. And if you can walk away and learn whatever you can learn from that relationship in order to better, to, to improve how you approach your next relationship, then that will have been a success. So I'm going to finally touch on something else about relationships that I think is critical and a huge difference when you're dating later in life, and that is finances. You know, when you're young, there is a much more, I think, romantic view of finances. Oh, yes, we are going to share everything because we love each other so much, including our finances. Whereas when you're later on in life, you know, there are a lot of other things that may play into that. You might be thinking you need a prenup because you're a millionaire and you're marrying somebody who is, you know, a, a, a you know, a waiter, a waitress, a hairdresser, somebody who is clearly not a millionaire, a teacher, uh, a, a lawyer who, you know, isn't a millionaire. So there might be a conversation to be had about prenuptial agreements, and especially if you've been divorced before because you know the divorce rate is higher, so perhaps you shouldn't be too romantic and have that discussion just in case you need it. Um, there might be other reasons that play into it. I had a girlfriend of mine who is in her 60s now, and uh, she married her her husband. And the two of them came to the conclusion that because both of them were financially self-sufficient, they didn't actually need to combine their assets and for estate planning purposes. It was actually easier for them not to. And doesn't mean they love each other any less. Doesn't mean that somebody's trying to hide anything from somebody else. But it just means that from a financial perspective, you know, it doesn't always make sense to mindlessly commingle your assets just because you're married and just because you're dating or just because you live together. Look at your finances with a level head. Um, compare where you are and be open to not commingling your assets. And if your partner doesn't want to commingle assets, don't be offended because there might be really good reasons. Um, kids are a really good reason that some people might have not to want to commingle assets. I need to plan for college. I've got young kids, and I have to make arrangements to make sure that they have enough adequate funding for college that they can go without having to incur a whole lot of debt. So that might be a reason why I might want to keep my life insurance and my 401k policy and all of those other things separated from my, you know, beloved Retirement benefits. Uh had a friend who was dating uh, and engaged, in fact, but wanted to put off the marriage for a couple of years because 
um, they he and his fiance are a little bit later on in the years, and she is uh, close to retirement. And at retirement, she is going to have access to uh, certain Social Security benefits uh, because of her prior marriage that she would lose if they got married. And so for the two of them, it may make sense to wait. So all these things may impact your getting married or deciding whether or not to combine your assets. But what I would suggest is that there is no one way, right? One size does not fit all. And it is, you can be, you are limited only by your creativity and what you are willing to agree to. So as you are thinking about dating in your 40s and how different it is compared to what it was in your 20s, all of these are things to think about and things that uh, you might want to approach and give some thought to before you jump in there and uh, run amok. But all fun things to think about and uh, all these things, no matter what your answers are, knowing yourself and being honest with yourself about what you want, what you need, and what you are willing to do for the other is going to probably put you far and away in a better position to have more successful relationships. And so that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week, this is the U.S. saying go in peace and enjoy that dating. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.